Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon, And I'm Father Travis Crotty. And it's good to be with you. We understand for all of you who are our faithful listeners, we've had some volume control issues, but we're trying to address that. So thanks for your feedback and, and getting in touch with us uh, to point that out. That's right. Hopefully your car volume, when you keep it, can stay at a steady 13, I think is what you wanted at. Um, obviously, all cars have very subjective uh, number values for their volume. We're trying to keep it consistent for all of you. It's really about helping you, the listener, not feel so outcast when your volume is really wacky. Good tie-in, Father. No problem. Excellent. That's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. We don't want we don't want this show, show to be a, a source of feeling more outcast than right. we already are, or you know, cursing one of us because our volume control is Absolutely. constantly changing the volume control that's because right. the priests can't get their own equipment together. That's right. Father Travis, it's good to see you again. Um, we have finished a school year as high school chaplains. Yes. It's what a blessed year, praise God, here in this local area. We were able to stay in session all year. Yep, and then loosen up some protocols at the end of the year, which was a, a great yeah. kind of relief. Yeah, helped everyone just let their hair down a little bit and, and take a deep breath. But I think there's been also an enormous amount of grace that's poured forth from this school year, even in the midst of the pandemic. So congrats on your first year yes, thank you. as a high school chaplain. Thank you. Sadly, I missed our graduation. So whoops. You did? Well, I did because oh. of what I was telling you before. I had not yet celebrated Mass at my home parish. Oh, that's right. For uh, Some call it a first Mass, but because you actually celebrate Mass at your ordination, some call it a Mass of Thanksgiving. I hadn't done that. Usually it happens the day after a guy's ordination. Um, mine happened during the pandemic when only about 10 or 15 people came to the ordination, so I couldn't make it back. And then I jumped into full-time parish ministry. When it turns out, you have Mass every single weekend you do. as a priest. So You don't have free weekends. You don't, you don't have Imagine free weekends that. to just sneak away and go Imagine to your home parish. That. So as things started to loosen up, uh, the parish and I, we planned it pretty quickly for Pentecost weekend, thought it'd be a great celebration. So I planned that, uh, invitation or sort of a announcement was made to the parish community. And then I realized it was the same day as my high school's graduation. Oops. So I was able to make the baccalaureate mass, which was, <laughs> that's very appropriate. That's how it felt. Yes. I was able to make the baccalaureate mass, but then what I found out even more of a lousy tr- trombone horn is that number two, the way it's, it's set up in town with the, the public school's graduation and the Catholic school's graduation being on the same day, mm-hmm. they have to be staggered so people can go to their families at both in a sure. small community. And I always will have a Spanish mass at 1230. Mm. So unless the time changes of that mass, of the either one of the graduations, but I don't, I don't think they can. Um, I'll always be late for it. So mm. not being there. I mean, I only missed about half of it. So anyways, um, we'll have to work that out. We'll have to try. We'll have to get a sub. I did, however, go going back to my home parish was wonderful. It was unexpected. Yeah, tell us about this. So this was Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. First time after the pandemics began or began that you were able to go back to your like home home parish right. and do this big mass. And there was kind of and there was like three really exciting aspects to it one was that it was my first time back it was their first time being able to celebrate a son of the parish ordained as a priest my parish closed the church building still remains but it doesn't have um it, the parish was was closed and merged with another parish it doesn't have mm-hmm. sunday mass so this was the first sunday mass celebrated at, the, at that church in four years 
Really? And it wow. was the for- first Sunday of like very minimal protocols for our diocese being reopened after, um, after a year and a half of COVID protocols being in place. So it was just such a joyful experience. Um, wonderful choir there. At, at, so St. Columkill Church in Verina, Iowa, a town of about 60, 65 people, depending on the week, whoever, you know, is traveling. Um, super tiny, but beautiful community. Um, I think my great-great-grandparents are buried in the cemetery. So I've had my family in that little tiny town for a long time. So, uh, And I'm pretty sure the last priest ordained from that parish is my great-grandma's first cousin, Monsignor Lily, who was the pastor in Sioux City in St. Joe's yeah, in St. for like 35 years yeah, or something. Yeah, he was a legend there. Yeah, so that was really beautiful. So I celebrated the Mass for him, for the repose of his soul, as the last priest from that parish. Um, it was so it was, it was beautiful. Uh, if you ever get a chance, listeners, to go to a priest's ordination or mass of thanksgiving in his parish please please do so because it's it's just beautiful to celebrate the providence of god and to celebrate the grace that comes with ordination which is so great because it's not just for the guy who's ordained at all we're ordained for the people we're ordained for service but to see the grace of ordination kind of spill out in a community is just wonderful absolutely yeah you realize in those moments this isn't just about me you know the vocation that the lord gives to a man to serve is obviously so much broader than him. And you see that as the parish comes out and you start witnessing people that have been praying for you forever. Right. And you didn't and you didn't realize the graces that they were attaching to your vocation, to their desires for the hope of the diocese, even the spiritual graces that they wanted to receive from your first mass or for your mm-hmm. ordination. Um, those are just beautiful things that come out. And it's and it's a chance for that community to to celebrate the gift of faith that is obviously sustained several generations now in right. that community. I think my favorite piece of the of the time being there was that some of the ladies who were working as sacristans for the mass changed the letters on the letter board uh by the front by the bell tower and where it normally said the name of the pastor they put my name on the board and of course there had to be many photo ops there with myself in front of the letter board uh, with reverend travis crowdy on it so the i mean my i think my uh shani lynch my 93 year old uh neighbor my whole life uh she that you know that just made her day getting to take a picture in front of the sign with her neighbor's name on it. Oh, I'm sure right. it did. Cause she probably remain, remembers you as the kid that was like all squirmy in the pews punk, as a child punk little kid next door. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. And now you're reverend. Yes. Very, very your reverence. Yeah. So holy mm-hmm. father Travis, this is outcast Catholic. Here we are. And, um, there is something major that happened for the outcast world recently that I don't think hardly anyone noticed. Okay. It I don't was, think I know. It was huge. I think it's huge. And the other person who thinks it's huge is Mother Mary Claire, the foundress of the Handmaid Order Newell. up in Newell, Minnesota. Because she, she has a very strong devotion to a particular saint. She introduced this, that devotion to me years ago. Okay. And, and I've just fallen in love with this saint. So recently, in, um, at the very end of April, the Vatican sent out a press release with the um, new decrees that came out of the congregation for the causes of the saints. Mm -hmm. And a number of them were declared venerable and their canonization processes are moving forward. But in that uh, press release, there was a very small little notice that blessed Margaret of Costello, a 14th century Dominican saint um, was now going to be canonized. Okay. Well, and it's actually the, the equivalent canonization process. Mm. Uh, The Holy father waived the um, requirement for a second miracle after one's beatification, 
in the typical process, there would be a miracle for beatification, a second miracle for canonization. After a lengthy investigation had already uh, been undertaken, studying this person's holiness, studying their writings, you know, what's the what's the cult effect of veneration among the faithful following their death? The Holy Father waived that for this saint that's now like what over seven hundred years old, and he declared this you know Dominican to be a saint. I know absolutely nothing about now Saint Margaret of Castello, so excellent, please. <laughs> inform me well because because no one seems to know about her she's an outcast just in terms of like our modern understanding but to, look, wait till you hear, hear about her life i'm and, ready and you're going to hear about I'm like on the edge of my the patron right saint now. of outcasts okay are you ready listeners are the, are you ready i don't know maybe even bump up the volume a couple notches because you're going to get ready for this one. don't drive off the road folks yeah, here, here we, we go, go. <laughs> all right so margaret of castello was born in the 1300s an italian family um Every time a child is born, you know, it's a great sense of of joy and gratitude with a a new sense of life. But her parents initially weren't so convinced of this. Oh, Margaret was born blind. She was a hunchback with like a deformed spine. And she was also a a dwarf or what we would call a little person. Mm. Okay. That that term category has been changed over the centuries as to what is, you know, um, medically appropriate yeah, yeah, or, right. or socially appropriate, but she was a little person. And as I understand her history, you know, and, and scholars have done their best to put all the pieces together, but it appears as if her family was actually quite ashamed of her mm-hmm. and they hid her away. In fact, it's, it's not known that any of the neighborhood or the town knew of Margaret's existence and her birth until she was six years old when there was a visitor over at the house Margaret kind of came running out of the back room where she was hid and like the surprise was revealed. Freaked them out, right? Yeah, like, oh, you have another daughter and didn't know that, okay? Determined never to let this happen again, as I understand the story, um, her father constructed a room alongside the local church to in which Margaret was locked mm. permanently, okay? Um, she never came out of this room for the next 10 years, uh, food and necessities were passed to her through a small window. And she only had one local visitor, and that was the parish priest. Hmm. Um, he came to her and spoke through a little window in the church on the kind of the opposite side, where because it was, it was buttressing the church, this, this constructed room. And from there, uh, as tradition holds, Margaret could listen to Mass each day and receive Holy Communion. And this priest was giving her spiritual direction. Um, you know, because literally she had all the distractions of the world stripped away from her, quite literally, as she's imprisoned in this cell, which allowed her in. And also, she's blind, so there was a there was a, a, a medical darkness, but even a physical darkness of her imprisonment that allowed her to kind of go quite deep into the interior life and to to find Jesus. Um, and the priest was really noticing this very heightened uh, awareness of the spiritual life and the graces that were flowing. Um, When Margaret was 16, um, her parents brought her out of the cell, and they took her to a local shrine where miracles had been happening. Maybe it was perhaps a regional shrine. I I forget where. And they were hoping that a a miracle would happen for their daughter. So they were praying. um, You know, they were open to the will of God. She was not cured on the first day. She was not cured on the second day. 
and I think feeling dejected and maybe feeling a bit hopeless of not knowing what to do with their daughter that they seem so publicly ashamed of, the parents just abandoned the girl. Mm. Mm. They left a blind girl alone at the shrine. Mm. And not only was she blind, she's been locked up for 10 years. So it's not like she's got a lot of street smarts. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. Like, how, how am I going to survive in the world? The poor thing was blind. <laughs> And she had been locked up and in prison. I mean, she didn't have friends. Uh, she's in a new town. You know, even if she had, you know, through her blindness, learned to kind of know the sounds or the, right. or the street patterns of her local community, she's visiting the shrine town. So she didn't know her way around. Um, she started to beg for food, and she, saw, she shot, sought shelter with the local Dominican sisters, mm. which opened her up to the Dominican way of life. Okay. She was never accepted uh, into the monastery as a fully professed nun, but she did become a third order Dominican. Mm -hmm. I don't know if all of our listeners know what that means, but you know, uh, like we kind of have some third order uh, professed uh, Carmelites in Sioux City, sure. you know, who are kind of associates of our Carmelite sisters in our local community. There are oblates of Benedictine communities around the Midwest as well. Yeah, exactly. Where so you live, you live the charisman life in the best way you can as a layperson of that particular. Uh, religious community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful witness. It's a beautiful calling. So she started to do that with her own um, kind of Dominican um, tradition, mm -hmm. spirituality. And she was dedicating herself to prayer. She was caring for the sick and the dying. She was visiting prisoners in the city jail. And she died on April 13th in the year 1320 at the age of 33. Mm. Um, and from what her, her colleagues and her um her associates noticed for the rest of her life, really at, at, at all points of her life, she never held a grudge against her family, mm. uh, a family that was ashamed of her, a family that hid her away, a family who literally locked her away, and then a family who abandoned her. Mm. Um, I mean, I, re I really dare our listeners, and I've, I've preached on this publicly, I dare you <laughs> to find somebody who was more outcast. Mm. You know, I dare you to find somebody who had more crosses in their life. Because um, I think she could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with just about any of them. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that wonderful relationship that she had with the Lord, that spiritual intimacy that was obviously keeping a very strong flame of charity burning in her heart, just didn't allow her to go down that resentment path. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't allow the anger and the bitterness to come up. Um, so there you have it. Wow. Margaret of Costello, now Saint Margaret of Costello, through the canonization process of equivalency. Mm. I'm just thinking, as the whole time as you're sharing that, and especially at the end, talking about her abject <laughs> outcastness, mm -hmm. um, that poverty of freedom and of her, her physical life, but then the incredible freedom of her spiritual life. I, when we experience feeling outcast, from our families, our relationships, our communities, our experience of the faith, whatever it is in our life, that just so easily leads to resentment. Mm -hmm. that, that's where we live out of. And then those that woundedness kind of feeds our, our actions the rest of our life. But that's so beautiful to see the life of Christ alive in this new saint because that's what happened to Jesus. He was almost perfectly outcast on the cross but then was always in communion with the Lord mm -hmm. and with the Father. This is the same is true here, um, which is like incredible hope for all of us that 
out experience of being outcast doesn't just necessitate resentment and just like difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, the difficulty is present, but it can be redemptive. That's, that's huge. Absolutely. How many of us think at times in life, Oh, I wish I had been dealt a different hand of cards. Literally everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and also everybody thinks that everybody else has been dealt the best hand. Right. And doesn't feel that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. The grass is always greener, right? Mm. Um, I don't know in, in the depths of her heart if she ever felt that way. Uh, perhaps not. Mm. You know, maybe there was some sustaining grace that just, uh, you know, invited her to, into the Lord's embrace. Um. But there doesn't appear from the, the witness of charity, from the spiritual direction that her local pastor was given her and the spiritual conversations that they were having through the cell window for those 10 years, uh, from the Dominicans that she encountered on the streets, and obviously from the Christian witness of uh, going around and caring for the sick, the dying, and the uh, imprisoned um, people of her town, that charity alone you know, obviously is, is being sparked from some divine source, mm. right? There's some very strong act of faith in her that was nurtured by God's graces. So there, there just doesn't seem to be any evidence in her life of resentment and bitterness. No one in who encountered her um, seems to have ever witnessed that, including her spiritual directors, which is really quite profound. Of all the people who felt like they had a grudge against the world right. and were dealt a bad hand of cards— and quite miraculous. It's like she didn't receive the miracle that she wanted when she was brought to the shrine, and her parents left her there. But the the real miracle of the Lord's grace at work in her life is that in every reason she should have been so far from God mm-hmm. and cursed him for this life that she'd received from this kind of physical experience she didn't ask for, the terrible treatment that she received from her family. Mm-hmm. It It's a miracle, an action of grace in her life that, she stayed so close to the Lord and, and came, like connected that suffering that she experienced with the suffering of Jesus and then experienced the same redemption. That's right. Yeah. She did get a miracle at the shrine. Didn't right. she? Absolutely. She got him a far better family, the family of the Dominicans who the embraced family her. Of the church in heaven. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm being filled with so much hope now that we have so many things that we complain about all the time. And this woman had, infinitely more things to complain about Mm -hmm. but holding up her sanctity that nope (laughs) that wasn't she didn't complain and she didn't turn away from the lord but turned even deeper into his abiding presence and sacred heart and found found rest and redemption in life right we can do that right i i wonder if if we were able to sit down with margaret in her life perhaps some of the dominicans did this you know Margaret, how do you do it? Mm. How do you keep going every day? You know, your life must be so difficult. I wonder if Margaret actually just looked them in the eye and just said, well, not like she could actually see them in the eye, but looked in their direction and (laughs) just said, what are you talking about? I don't have crosses. Other people have it far worse. I know Jesus. I'm filled with hope. I get communion at the Eucharist. I get, you know, confession graces regularly. I look at all these other people who are away from God they're in a far more sorry state than I am. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's what Margaret would have actually have said. I wonder if she approached the prisoners in the jail cell of that local town or visited the sick. And I wonder if some of them just would have melted. Mm. You know, uh, here is a hunchback blind woman 
coming to care for me. I would imagine that witness alone would have just melted a lot of hearts. Yeah, the almost the incarnation embodiment of humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what her, the love of Christ. Yeah, definitely, very incarnational love of Christ poured forth through very humble means, as we know is always the biblical approach to to God's mm-hmm. revelation, right? Through the humblest of means. Um, and I don't know what her medical diagnosis is, but was it a severe case of uh, sclerosis of her yeah. spine? I mean, we're, we're not quite sure. Um, but it would have given her a, a very public demeanor mm-hmm. of humility um, and, fe- and looking outcast, mm-hmm. even if she never felt outcast. In her sanctity, she might have looked around the world and said, everybody else is far more outcast from God's grace than I am. Mm. I'm really on fire with the Holy Spirit. And to that to that end, uh, over 200 miracles have been attributed attributed to her, not necessarily endorsed by right. by Rome by the Vatican, um, but the, the notes, the the medallions, mm. um, the crutches, you yeah. know, left at shrines in her honor. Um, she was the first beatified in 1609, mm. um, and now praise God, she's known as Saint Margaret of Castello in which the Holy Father now extends her veneration universally across the world. Mm-hmm. And we trust that from her from her strong union with the Lord in heaven, she's going to keep interceding for us. And uh, hopefully for anyone out there feeling a little outcast, uh, for whatever reason, medically, socially, spiritually, family-wise, mm-hmm. whatever, uh, perhaps St. Margaret of Castello can be a new friend of yours, a new intercessor, and a new patron. So praise God for this gift. I know the handmaids up in Newham, Minnesota are rejoicing at uh, this gift of, of universal veneration for this uh, newly declared saint. Uh, it's a great gift of our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and we hope that Margaret is interceding for all of us. So, Yeah, St. Margaret of Castello, pray for us. Absolutely. Good visiting you with Father Travis. Thanks for your time, everybody. It's always good hanging out together. Let's keep one another in prayer, and we'll catch you next time on Outcast Catholic. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.